Well, today is the second Sunday in Advent. Last week we lit the hope candle, and at the beginning of this service, um, Jesse and, and Liz lit the love candle. And so we're going to be talking a little bit more about love here in just a little while, but these last several weeks we've been talking about legacy. Uh, the, the first couple of Sundays were not in Advent, but now the last two Sundays of the series have been in Advent. And what we've been saying about legacy is that legacy is about making a difference that outlasts us, that outlives us. That's what legacy is all about. We want to be the kind of people that we're more focused on pouring into the line and not just the dot. We've used this illustration the last several weeks, but th- this rope is like uh, a timeline of eternity. You've got all of eternity past, we've got all of eternity future, and all of this right here, this entire little section right here represents all of human history, and so often we can just pour our lives into this light, little tiny dot where we are today, and we neglect the line, which actually is the thing that matters the most. It's the thing that's going to last forever and ever. And so we want to be the kind of people that we're not just pouring into the dot, but we're investing our lives and pouring our lives into what's going to matter far beyond, we, far beyond the time that we leave this earth. Amen? Amen. And, and so we, we've got that choice. We can pour either into the temporary realm or we can pour into the eternal realm. Now, speaking of legacy, I think it's been very moving over this last week as our nation and world has been honoring the life of President George Herbert Walker Bush. And uh, I've been very moved this week by hearing the stories of legacy from this guy, from this, this incredible man. And the, the, the stories of legacy were not just about you know, his political influence, but the stories of legacy were also about influence in the realm of family and also in the, uh, the arena of friendship. And it's really quite remarkable. And so he, he was the same man, because we just kept hearing consistent stories. There was this, this legacy of consistency, that he was the same man at home that he was with his friends, that he was at work. And so I, I want to show you a, a clip here. This is a clip uh, from 60 Minutes this past Sunday, a week ago. And this, this clip is President George W. Bush talking about his father. And so let's, let's watch this. Check this out. So much has been written about George Herbert Walker Bush as a president. What was he like as a father? He was a great father. And if if you were to interview my brothers and sister to a person, we would say, uh, couldn't have a better father. And I think the reason why they would say, I know the reason why I'd say it is because he gave us unconditional love. And some of us tested it, I might add. Uh, He was, there was no doubt about uh, how much he loved us which uh, I think is a very important gift that a a father can give to his children. Your father was never comfortable with the word legacy. Yeah, neither am I. The L word, right? Neither am I. But as his eldest son, what would you say his legacy is? People, if they analyze not only his accomplishments, but his character, they'll say, job well done, George H.W. Bush. It's a good legacy. It's a legacy we heard of unconditional love for his family, for his kids, a legacy of consistency. Um, I'd like for someone to be able to say that about me someday, Um, not because of how awesome I am, but because I want to reflect the nature and character of Christ in me. 
It reminds me, this interview reminded me of um, a quote from Winston Churchill. This is a quote that I hear a friend and mentor of mine quote often. And this, is this particular friend uh, and mentor, Jeannie Mayo, what she does is she often finds a really powerful quote, and then she kind of adds her own little flair to it, and then she, like, adopts it as her own. And so you hear her say these, like, profound things, and you think that she's the one that <laughs> said it the entire time. But then I look it up, and I'm like, wait a second, that was Winston Churchill that really originally said that. But she added something really good to it, and this is what Jeannie says often. She says, history will be kind to me, for by the grace of God I will write it. History will be kind to me, for by the grace of God, I will write it. I really like that. And it's always stuck with me. Anytime I ever hear her say that, or anytime I've read the, the, you know, what Churchill said about that. And, and in that interview, President Bush admitted that he nor his father were really comfortable with the, the word legacy. But what you didn't hear, what got edited out of that, was he, he goes on to talk a little bit and just mention a little bit why that he nor his father were comfortable with the word legacy. And he said it was because legacy sometimes can seem like it's very self-serving. That, and that's what he said. He said, legacy is self-serving. It's like, hey, look at me. And you know what? I absolutely believe there's a lot of truth of, of that, especially if your legacy is just about you. It's, you know, it's about making a name for yourself. It's about, you know, someone erecting a statue to you someday. But that's not the kind of legacy that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. The, the kind of legacy that, that I want to live is not about me. The kind of legacy that, that I'm living for, it's not about, hey, everybody, pay attention to what I did. It's Jesus' legacy. It's about him, and it's about what he did. I'm living for Jesus' legacy. I'm sacrificing for his legacy. And that's what Advent and Christmas are really all about. They're about remembering the legacy of Jesus. During this Advent season, it's really common for us to read in the Scriptures uh, and go and read through the Christmas story in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1 and 2, also uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1 and 2. And if we go there, we read and we, we read about shepherds and we read about angels. We read about the manger. We read about wise men. And, and I think most of us are probably pretty well versed with the details of what happened at that, that first Christmas. So what I'd like to do today is look at a passage that doesn't just tell us the what of Christmas, but it tells us and talks to us about the legacy of Christmas. So let's take a look here in uh, John's letter, 1 John chapter 1. And let's start reading here in verse 1. And this is what he wrote. He says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. What, what is John talking about here? He's saying, hey, we have eyewitness accounts. This is like a deposition. This is like... A deposition, eyewitness accounts of the word of life. Who's the word of life? He's talking about Jesus. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. 
These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John begins to write this letter, and he begins with talking about the legacy of Christmas, what Christmas means. Now, know, you know, during this season every year, this Advent season, this Christmas season, it's really easy for us to just kind of just get sucked into the nostalgia and let that sit in, and we get all the feels, and we've got all the memories, and we've got all the traditions, and we've got family gatherings, and we've got parties, and food, and music, and presents, and all of that's really nice, and it, and it helps us feel but I also think it's important for us to think during this time of, of year and think during the season, not just feel, but also think. Think about the legacy of Christmas. What does all of this mean? Think about the birth of Christ, that the Son of God, the Lord of heaven, came to earth, was born as a human being. What does all of that mean? What does John say that the legacy of Christmas is? Well, the first thing that John says that the legacy of Christmas is, is that Christmas is about salvation by grace. Salvation by grace. Notice how John talks about Jesus. Okay, if we rewind and we go back to the Gospel of John, you know, the, the very first five verses have a very similar tone in the Gospel of John as the first five or four verses of 1 John, his letter. It's a very similar tone. And in, in, in the Gospel of John, what does he say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here in 1 John, in chapter 1, he references Jesus again as the Word, but he said he's the Word of life. So I think it's important to make the distinction that John doesn't say that Jesus just has life or that he gives life, but he says that Jesus is life. He is eternal life. One of the things that sets Christianity apart from every other belief system is that in every other belief system, you've got this, this founder who's like a prophet or a sage, and this is what they say. This is what their claim is. You go and do X, Y, Z, and then you'll get eternal life. Do this, do that, do the next thing, and that's the path to eternal life. You know, jump through this hoop, and then this hoop, and then this hoop, and then you will connect with the infinite, or you will become one with a higher power, or one with the universe, or whatever it is their language is in other belief systems. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't say, hey, I, I'm pointing you to the way. He didn't say, I'm here, let me give you some good truth that will help you. He didn't say, hey, you know, let me show you how to get the life. No, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The claim of Christianity is not that Jesus was just this great prophet pointing the way to God and pointing uh, us to, to see how we can save ourselves. No, the legacy of Christmas is that Jesus is God. And he came to save us. He did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. To know him is eternal life. The gospel is not, oh, he came to show us how to live and 
We do all the things that we're supposed to do, and then God blesses us, and he gives us eternal life because we did the things that we were supposed to do. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus himself is the life. Some people might say, maybe you're here today, and you're, you're kind of in this boat, and you, you're like, well, I, I don't know, really, know, really know if I believe in the incarnation. I don't really know if I believe that Jesus was God. Um, and you know what? To be honest with you, I don't really believe that doctrine matters. What I, what I believe is that, you know, you just live a good life. But when someone says doctrine doesn't matter, what I believe in is just live a good life, that's actually a doctrine. <laughs> that's a doctrine. And that doctrine says, hey, you know, uh, I'm not so bad that I need a savior. I'm not too messed up that I can't get my act together and live a good enough life. That's a doctrine. And that's the doctrine of salvation by works, not by grace. But if we go back to what John is saying, and let me just say this, let me just say this before we go back there. If that's the doctrine that you choose to live by, your life is going to be marked by anxiety and fear and devastation and self-loathing. Because you're always going to be wondering, am I good enough? Do I measure up? Have I done enough? I remember I was in China uh, a few years ago and doing a cultural exchange, which means we're going into college classrooms and talking to students, and really we were just kind of trying to tell them about Jesus, but under the guise of, hey, we're here to have a cultural exchange. And I was asking them about their holidays, and then it was giving me opportunity to talk about our Christian holidays and talk about Jesus, and it would ask them, hey, what do you believe about the afterlife? And a lot of the students that I talked to, they believed there was an afterlife. You know, a lot of them weren't really following along in their parents or their grandparents' uh, you know, traditions of you know, ancestry worship. They had kind of fallen into the secular, secularism, kind of tied into spiritual life, saying that, hey, if I just live a good enough life, then that will get me to the afterlife. And I said, would always say to them, well, who says that good enough is good enough? Like, what's the measure of that? Who, who says that all the good that you've done outweighs any of the bad that you've done, or any of the bad that, that you've just had in your heart and in your thoughts? And then they would kind of get quiet, because then they realize, oh, there's a breakdown in, in my belief system. And it would give me this opportunity to talk about Jesus. But if your doctrine is salvation by works and not by grace, again, like I said, your, your life is going to be marked by fear and anxiety and self-loathing because you're always going to wonder, am I good enough? Do I measure up? Or if you just think, I am good enough, <laughs> then your life will be marked by pride and your, your life will be marked by your disdain for others because you'll see their shortcomings and they're not good enough. But if we go back to what John is saying, he's telling us this is not just a nice story. This really happened. We really saw it. Jesus really was born. He really did live. He really did die. He really was resurrected. He really was Emmanuel, God with us. He really was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He's not just a wonderful teacher. Jesus himself is God. 
And if Christmas is just a nice story and it's just a nice legend, then guess what? You're on your own. But if Christmas is true, and John says it is by eyewitness accounts, then you can be saved by grace and you can know that just by believing in him that you're received and accepted. That's good news. That's the first thing that John tells us about the legacy of Christmas is that salvation is by grace. The next thing that John tells us about the legacy of Christmas is that God wants relationship with us. God wants relationship with us. Why does John make it a point to talk about the incarnation? Because the incarnation is about relationship. What did he say? He said this. He says, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. That's relationship talk. The legacy of Christmas is that God went to great lengths so that he could come near to you so that you could know him personally. It's not good enough. God is not content with you just kind of believing in him as a concept. It's not good enough for God. He's not content with you just feeling warm inside when you think about him. It's not even good enough for God that you view him as this just this all-powerful force that you've got to bow down to. How do we know that? Because he became a human being. And one of the reasons that he became a human being is because he wants relationship with us. Let me ask you this. Have you ever tried to look at the sun? Have you ever tried to look? Yes, I'm thank you for your honesty, Elijah. I appreciate that. You're the only person. And of course, you know, you're always honest with me too, Aaron. Thank you. We have two honest people. How many of you ever tried to look at the sun? Okay, thank you. We all did last, last year when we had that eclipse, right? Have you ever tried to look at the sun? All it is is a blur. All it is is a blur. Why? You know, you, because it's too bright, it's too magnificent. It's too glorious for our physical eyes. It, we, we can't take it in. If you try to look at the sun, at the very best, it will be a blur. And at the very worst, you'll burn your retinas out and you will be blind. So don't do that, Elijah. Don't do that. What do you need? If you want to look at the sun, what do you need? You need a filter. You need something between you and the sun. And when you have that filter on, you can now see the bursting flames that are on the surface. And you can see the explosions. And you can see how bright and how magnificent and how glorious it really is. But you need that filter in order to see all of that. Are you following me? Same is true with God. Charles Wesley wrote this really fantastic piece of theology called Hark! The Herald Angels Sing. And in, in I think it's verse 2, there's this line that says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Veiled in flesh, Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity. He didn't say, well, because God is veiled in flesh, we can't see the Godhead. Because he's veiled in flesh, we, you know, how does the tune go? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead hidden. No, it's not, that's not how it goes. 
because God became a human being, we can see his glory. We can see his glory in a way that otherwise we would have been overwhelmed. We can see because of Jesus, because he came as a human being, we're able to see God in a way that if we had tried to see God any other way, it would have destroyed us. Remember Moses? Moses wanted to see the glory of God. He wanted to see God himself. And then he and God have this, this moment. It was a few good men moment. It was a Tom Cruise and, and a Jack Nicholson moment. Moses is like, I want to see your glory. And God's like, you can't handle the glory. You know? And, and so, listen. What did God do so that we could see his glory and be in relationship with, one, with him? First John, or excuse me, John chapter 1 tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. When we read about Jesus through the Gospels, we're reading about God in human form. And it's like a filter. The legacy of Christmas is that God is not satisfied with us just knowing about him and thinking of him as just this far-off being in the cosmos. He went to great lengths to come near to you so that you could know him personally. Believing in Jesus is just the beginning. Christmas is about God wanting to be in relationship with you. The next thing that John tells us about the legacy of Christmas is that love really matters. Love really matters. Our secular world today tells us that this is all that, all that we see, hear, smell, touch, taste. This is it. There's nothing beyond this. There is no soul. There is no spirit. There is no life beyond this. There's no world beyond this. There is, there is no line. It's just the dot, and at the end of the dot, that's it. That's the end of the line. That's what secular world tells us today. But there's a contradiction also in our culture because what we hear often in our culture today, even in, in the secular viewpoint, is that, that, that love does matter. That love matters. That love makes a difference. That caring about people is important. But let me ask you this. Follow me with this. Does this make any sense? Because if there is only just the body, if there is no soul, if there is no spirit, if there is no life beyond this, if there is no eternity, then love is just a chemical response in our brain that, that tells us how to survive. That's it. It doesn't really matter. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are surviving these days without love. You can survive just on fear. You can survive on, on desperation. You can survive on greed. Lots of people say that everything has a scientific explanation. Everything has a natural cause. Listen, and I, I'm not slamming science. I think, I think the, the, the realm of the spirit and the realm of science actually go hand in hand. I don't think they contradict each other. But a lot of people, they, they think that it does. And they say, well, everything has a natural cause. Everything has a scientific explanation. And that's a complete secular viewpoint. And what's crazy is that even the people that say that, they don't live as if love doesn't matter. They still live as if love matters. 
They don't live as if their thoughts and feelings of love are just chemical reactions. Yet according to a secular point of view, that's the way we ought to think. Do you, do you see the contradiction? It doesn't make any sense. Christmas tells us something that our heart already knows intuitively. Christmas proves that love is not something that just happens in the human brain and that it's a chemical response. Christmas tells us that love pre-existed the world, that love created the world, and that love is redeeming the world. In John's gospel and in his letter, 1 John, uh, he gives us more about the Trinity than any one singular other writer throughout the scripture. And he says this, he says, in the beginning of time, in the beginning of time as we know it, before this happened right here, the beginning of time as we know it, there already existed the Father. There already existed the Son. And, and then we, of course, we have other passages too that we know that the Spirit existed. Many other belief systems say, well, God is just this, this force, this, uh, this unipers- unipersonal being that created And of course, you can't have love until you create because you can't have love if there's just one person. You have to have two in order to have love. But it's only Christianity that says that God is a communal, glorious love within himself. Here's what we know. Here's what we know. There is one God, and that God is expressed in three persons. The Godhead, the Trinity, is expressed in God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit. And those three persons have been knowing each other, and loving each other, and, and, and caring for each other for all of eternity, and it all pre-existed the creation of the world. And out of that love came the creation of the world, from a God who already was love. Love is not just a chemical response in your brain. It was before the world, it created the world, and it's redeeming the world. Why did God come to earth? Why did he go to such great lengths? Why did he go to all this trouble to become a human being that we could experience with our finite five senses? Because love really matters. In 1961, Yuri Gagarin became the first Soviet cosmonaut to orbit around the earth. And right after he did that, the, the premier of Russia, or the, excuse me, the premier of the Soviet at that time was uh, Nikita Khrushchev. And he came out and he made this statement to the world that the official religion of the Soviet Union is atheism. The official religion of the Soviet Union was atheism. And he said, we have more evidence for atheism now more than ever because we sent a man into the heavens and we found no God. Okay, now, so for some of us, like, well, that's a really good argument. For other of us, that's a ridiculous argument. But when Khrushchev was saying, he was saying all that, what he was saying was is that, you know, we're relating to God as if we, like, live in an apartment building. Like, we live on the first floor of an apartment building, and if there is a God, then he must live on the second floor. And so, you know, we sent somebody up there to the second floor, and nobody was home, so therefore God must not exist. Well, C.S. Lewis was still alive during this time. (laughs) 
I love that, Jason. <laughs> you're like, you just like, he's just going to, C.S. Lewis, that's all there is right there. He's going to just completely decimate Khrushchev. Well, he, he hears Khrushchev's, uh, you know, statement, and he decides to write an essay in response called The Seeing Eye. And in this, in this essay, Lewis says this. He goes, we don't relate to God like we're first floor tenants and he's the second floor tenant. That's not how we relate to God. If there is a God, we would relate to him like Hamlet would relate to Shakespeare. You know, the, the, the character in the play would know nothing about the creator. Like, the, the character is the creation, and the creation would know nothing about the creator unless the creator wrote something about himself into the play. Right? Shakespeare's the creator. Hamlet's the creation. Hamlet would know nothing about Shakespeare unless Shakespeare wrote it into the play. Hamlet's not going to find anything out about Shakespeare by climbing into the rafters of the theater. He's not going to find anything out about Shakespeare by climbing on top of the roof of the theater. He's only going to know anything about Shakespeare if Shakespeare writes something into Hamlet about himself. And, and Lewis says that, that God does way more than that. He did way more than just write himself into the play. Um, Dorothy Sayers was uh, one of the very first women to graduate from Oxford in the early 20th century. Uh, like we're talking about 100 years ago-ish, give or take a few years. And, uh, and she was really known, pretty well known for her fiction writing of mysteries. And one of her most famous characters was a guy by the name of Lord Peter Whimsey. And this guy, he was an aristocrat, but he was uh, an amateur sleuth, and he would go around solving mysteries. And, and so, you know, became kind of, you know, popular. You know, she, she wrote a lot of cool stories. And, um, and for most of the stories, he was a single man. But what happened... Uh, eventually is that some stories came along and we started seeing another character enter into the story by the name of Harriet Vane. And here's what we know about this character, Harriet Vane. She wasn't like, you know, a beauty queen. She was just kind of a normal-looking lady. But she was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford. And she was um, a detective mystery writer. And so she and Lord Peter Whimsey connect in the stories, and they begin solving some mysteries together. And then they fall in love, and they, they live happily ever after. And so many people have said, you know, well, Dorothy Sayers looked into the world that she had created. She saw the man that she created, and she saw that he was alone. She saw that he was lonely and saw that he needed to be saved, so she wrote herself into the play into the books, into the stories to connect with him and to save him. That's the very same thing that God has done with us. It's the very same thing. The legacy of Christmas is this. Love who created the world looked into the world that he created and he saw his creation and love saw that the creation had walked away from him. Love saw that, that we were a mess. Love saw that you know, we had gone astray. 
So he wrote, him in, he wrote himself into the story of our lives. Everyone knows that when you wrong somebody, there's, there's a barrier in that relationship until it's made right. And so, because God is love, he was going to deal with that. He was going to write himself in the story. He was going to be born into the manger. He was going to live the life that we were destined to live, but we couldn't because of sin. And then he died the death that we deserved. Let me ask you this. If love is just a chemical response, then why do we say things like, well, I'll love you forever? We should just say, if love is just a chemical response, we should just say, I will love you until my chemical responses tell me to stop. <laughs> but that's not how we feel. Why is that? Because love is not something that originated within the time and space that we know. Love came from the world that, uh, of the one who was love himself. Love really matters. We've been talking about legacy for the last four weeks. We've been talking about making a difference that outlives us. We've been talking about pouring not just into the dot, but into the line. So let's do this. Let's wrap up this series with asking ourselves a set of questions. And let's invite Holy Spirit to come in and help answer those questions for us. Let's pray. Right now, Holy Spirit, as we reflect on these past weeks, we ask you to help us see how we can carry out the legacy of Jesus. So right now, here in this moment, we ask you to speak to our hearts loud and clear in these three reflections. If the legacy of Christmas is that salvation is by grace, then help, then help us, God. Help us see who do we need to be Jesus with the skin on to. And how can we demonstrate, how can we demonstrate grace to them? Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts as we wait on you. If the legacy of Christmas is that God wants to be in relationship with us, then whom do we need to come near to and be in relationship with? Not for our own selfish gain, but for their benefit, so that they can know the love of God. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts as we wait on you. if the legacy of Christmas is that love really matters, then whom in our lives needs to be shown love the most? Holy Spirit, speak to us as we wait on you.
Father, we're grateful that we don't just have to feel about Christmas, things that are based on, that are circumstantial, God. Feelings that can come and go. But God, we can think about the, the legacy of Christmas and we can know that, that these, this legacy is legitimate, God, and that these truths can be anchors to our soul, God. We ask you to help us understand more. We ask you to help us walk in greater ways in the grace that you provided to us. In the relationship that you want to have with us. And to the love that you are to us. We pray this in Jesus' name.